0: Are you guys ready for the Word today? Yes. No? Everybody's yes. dead quiet, like, should we just go home? Should we order the pizza now? <laughs> Greg, the title of this morning's message is And They Asked for a King, Part 3. And They Asked for a King, Part 3. I'm taking you through a little journey. It's requiring a little bit of, uh, of setup for it. Uh, a journey into the expectation of Messiah. We're looking at the emergence of the idea of Messiah and then the expectation that Messiah would come uh, and then the fulfillment of the, the, the expectation in Jesus Christ and then of course the promise that he will return in glory and, uh, and I'm kind of looking at that as a theme uh, for the year and um, we are desperately in need of leadership. Somebody say amen. Amen. We need leaders. Believe it or not, folks, you need leaders. Uh, f- this time of the year, New Year's, is a time of great resolutions and, and uh, we make all kinds of promises to ourselves that we're going to be better people. And uh, about today or tomorrow, somewhere around here is when a lot of people fall off the wagon. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope you guys are doing better than that. Those of you who signed up for Jim, maybe you've been twice already since the beginning of the year. Time to go again. The truth is, if we're left to our own devices, we don't lead ourselves very well. We end up being very self-centered. And uh, leadership is a required thing, I think, to keep us other-focused, others-focused, rather than just on ourselves. Jesus uh, did teach us that we ought to be thinking about others. The Bible teaches us to think more highly about others than we even think about ourselves. Jesus taught us to love our neighbors as We love ourselves. He made that a a very key thing. Of course, it's an Old Testament truth, but he made it a big thing, and I want to make it a big thing. It's hard to think about others when we're in charge of ourselves. So there is no leader that this earth can offer us that will give us what we're looking for, because earthly leaders are flawed. They're human beings just like us. But there is a leader who has been presented to us. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is... Way, way far and above, beyond anything that you ever expected in leadership. The question is whether or not you will submit to his leadership in your life. And so as we look at the emergence of this idea of leader and what leader looks like, what the messianic leader looks like, I've taken you back to a time in history when the people were self-governed. The people of God were self-governed. And uh, we're looking at the book of Ruth. So if you've got your Bibles open, hopefully some of you did the homework. How many of you read Ruth for the second time this week? Anybody? Awesome. Awesome. Well done. And uh, some of you read it for the first time? Yeah? Uh, I gave you guys homework, so I hope you've read it. It's a short book, four chapters long, and it is, it is without uh, a doubt the, um, uh, the most beautiful love story. And uh, it is a profound theological treatise believe it or not, uh, it also ha- contains very few, very few problems uh, when it comes to criticism, even textual criticism and so forth. So it's a very easy book to start with uh, in our studies, uh, but it gives us a very beautiful picture of, uh, of what God is doing, what God continues to do, what God has always done, and that is work in invisible ways, constantly, through the activities of men particularly those who put their trust in him. And I want to focus on this because the book of Ruth is an introduction to the life of David. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David, who is the one through whom Messiah is going to come. Uh, There's a, um, there's a, a prophetic promise that happens during the life of David, that God will build his house through one of the sons of David that one of the sons of David will rule on a throne forever. And uh, this is important stuff for us theologically, and it's important for us to recognize why David is is a a figure, why Jesus is called the son of David, uh, because David represents the ideal king. He is, of course, not flawless. He has some pretty significant sins. But David represents something. He represents a kingdom. His kingdom is the best of all the kingdoms within the Scripture. We look at at the Old Testament, and David's kingdom is by and large the best. So his leadership is the best. There's a a season of the grace and favor of God upon the kingdom at that time. It's a united kingdom, and it manifests in many ways what the kingdom of God will look like in eternity. Only, of course, David is a mere shadow of that. So as we look at the emergence of David as king, uh, important for us to see how that came about. Because I think inside of that, there uh, there are ideas which become fundamental to the expectation of good leadership, of messianic leadership. And Ruth gives us probably the biggest principle of all. It's a principle which we recognize in the book of Ruth as the principle of loyalty. But the word in Hebrew is the word chesed. H-E-S-E-D is kind of the transliteration of it, where the H is a ch sound and the D is kind of a th sound, chesed. And uh, anyway, this word is a prominent word um, because it, it contains in it a lot of the, the very character of God, this loyalty, and we're going to discuss that at some length as we go through the book of Ruth together. But uh, I had mentioned last week that Bethlehem features, so if you, if you weren't here last week, you should just pick up that, uh, that podcast and just listen to it. It's only 30 minutes. Listen to it and see how Bethlehem featured in the run-up to this story. The run-up to the run-up story. okay. Bethlehem featured at a time uh, that, uh, that things were really bad. Everybody's governing themselves. Uh, last verse of the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, season of self-governance, but there was tremendous turmoil in the country because the self-governance was not subjected to the chesed, the loyalty, which Israel was supposed to show to God faithful covenant loyalty and as a result there was turmoil there was murder there was sexual perversion there was uh, there was idolatry and the nation was constantly under attack from external forces and everything that god had said would happen if the people were disloyal to him if they were disloyal to the covenant that they had chosen to make at sinai then these things would begin to happen because god shows loyalty to those who walk in loyalty. That's a principle of Scripture which we see from the beginning. Anyway, the book of Ruth enters into that season when bad things were happening, and it is a sigh of relief. It's this oasis in the middle of really bad things uh, because it's just this little microcosm of life that's continuing sort of as usual in this world where everybody's doing their own thing. But in the midst of that, God is still working. And I made this comment last week that God works in ordinary places. He He works amongst us even when the world is going to the bad place in a handbasket. So this gives me courage to think hey, here we are, living home family church, a little place, little significance in our little Bethlehem, but God's going to do something really, he can do something really profound right here because god is interested intimately interested in the individual that means you okay so although statistics are great and we can look at the world as a great you know a great big set of statistics the truth of the matter is god's interested in you where you are right now and that's what the story of ruth begins to show us why is that important because i need you to know that you're important to Jesus. I need you to know that your life is going somewhere and that God wants to use you. I'm not just saying that to try and pep you up and get you excited. I'm saying it because it's true. God cares about you, no matter where you're at, no matter what it is that's brought you to the point that you're at right now, no matter how broken you think you may may be, no matter how how proud you are of where you're at. The truth of the matter is God's intimately acquainted with where you're at and you are not yet where he wants you to be. And this book begins to show me that God can do impossible things in extraordinary ways through the lives of ordinary people. The book of Ruth doesn't contain a miracle, not a single one, at least not the way you and I would define a miracle. There's nobody with a miraculous healing. Nobody gets raised from the dead. There's no supernatural visitation. No angel shows up. There's no, there's no voice from heaven, uh, no thundering voice saying, this is my daughter, this is my son. This is, this is, there's none of that in here. But you can't help see the hand of God in these beautiful events as they begin to take place. And there is a principle in the book which is absolutely critical for you to see, and that is the loyalty is rewarded with loving-kindness. Chesed is rewarded with chesed. Loyalty is rewarded with loyalty and the hand of God delivers his reward to his people through the hands of those who are exercising loyalty. Okay. If I lost you there in the, uh, in the abstract, let's just say this. Let's say you have a tremendous need. Let's say you can't pay your mortgage. You can't pay your mortgage and you're thinking, God, I'm going to lose the house. And you are beside yourself and you don't know what to do. But in the midst of your, of your turmoil, the very real turmoil that your house is going to be gone and you're going to be on the street... Somebody comes to you in a place of need, and somehow your compassion is ignited. And you look to that person in their need, and you say, well, I have a house, at least for this month. I may not be able to pay the mortgage on the first, but the truth is that right now I still have a roof over my head, but this person's need is critical. If, I, if they don't have their need met today... I, <laughs> I just have to do something about it. And something inside of your heart is motivated by a loyalty in this relationship, a loving kindness that begins to emerge. You reach into your pocket and you take out what little you have and give it to that person in their need. In that moment, some people would say you're just a human being motivated by another person's need. You're probably being duped. And it's just a waste of your resources. You really should put everything aside to make sure you pay for your rent. Regardless of that, the person who comes along and says, God provided for that person's need, they're going to get ridiculed by the pragmatist who comes and says, No, no, God didn't provide. You, who have great need of your own, provided because the compassion of your heart was ignited to help that person. So God didn't provide. God's nowhere to be found. You are the one who met that person's need, and we give you accolades. Or maybe we judge you because you're foolish, because you gave what you didn't have to meet somebody else's need in the moment. The pragmatist is missing something. The book of Ruth teaches us what the pragmatist is missing. book of Ruth teaches us that the hand of the individual who reaches into their pocket in their own time of need to make a provision for somebody else who's in a position of greater need or more imminent need, that person is the hand of God. That's what the book of Ruth teaches. And it's a spiritual principle which we must not overlook. The skeptic amongst us would love to take away all signs of the supernatural by simply saying, there was no supernatural intervention whatsoever. I see people meeting people's needs. Do away with the supernatural stuff. And in many ways, I think the arguments can be made in support of that. But that doesn't stop God, regardless of how well-supported the skeptic might be. the truth of the matter is, God uses even the skeptic because God is He's sovereign, and he is omnipotent, and he uses everything. It is a beautiful thing to believe in God. Let's take it in another example. Let's say you're sick and you need Surgery. And you're crying out to God saying, God, heal me. And you make an appointment to see the doctor. Are you exercising faith? There are some who over the years have taught that going to see the doctor is a submission to the Overarching reality that God doesn't actually care or get involved in natural affairs, but you are now basically taking your faith away from a supernatural intervention and going to see a doctor who is just a person operating in a real scientific and tangible world. You have eliminated faith altogether, and you are now going to give God the credit for what the doctor has done or the surgeon has done? That's unthinkable. That's dumb or worse. And so the world would have us believe, and not just the the secular world, but even sometimes within the Christian world, would have us believe that there must be a separation between expectation for supernatural things and uh, the reality that things happen in a regular everyday world at the hand of non-supernatural beings. But I'm telling you that the book of Ruth teaches us a principle, and it's very important as we look to the leadership of Messiah who's going to enter into our world. The Bible te- teaches us through the book of Ruth that God operates in the practical, pragmatic world through the hands of other people, even those who are not actually submitted to his authority in their own hearts. Because ultimately you cannot be unsubmitted to God. He is the creator of all things. It's in Him that we live and move and have our being, even if we don't give Him credit for that. Every molecule in our body is held together by Him. He is the glue that keeps us together. If it were not for the word of the Lord, all of us would dissipate into nothingness. So, that being said, the Bible teaches us that the to expect that the leadership of messiah is going to be manifested not only in the supernatural presence of a person Jesus Christ but through the working of that person's ideology in the lives of others who are submitted to that leader. It's not really a foreign idea. We all do it. To some extent we're all ambassadors for something we believe in. If you carry a passport, the passport shows that you are a citizen of a particular country, and by being a citizen traveling under that passport, you are actually being an ambassador for that country. And uh, and we all do this, we all live out. So what you might do in some other place may be representative of the nation from which you come. The nation, they distance themselves from if you do something really, really wrong. But the truth is, if you go out, let's just say you're an American and you go to Russia and you carry a little wacky weed in your uh, suitcase, you might get arrested and put in jail, even if you are a star hockey player. And you'd be arrested as an American and suddenly it'd be a global issue. I'm not far off, right? Didn't that just happen? And so you represent someone by what you do. Now, it's not a foreign idea that we should represent God then, that God in supernatural ways will work through orchestrating the lives of individual human beings to be in the right place at the right time, to manifest the glory, the love, the grace, the favor, the kindness, maybe even the discipline or the correction of God. So when you look for God in the book of Ruth, you will see him, but you are going to see him manifested in the beautiful ways that these people represent Chesed. Now, would you turn with me very quickly? Oh, you've got your hand in the book of Ruth. You haven't actually read any of it yet, but I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 24. Can you turn there real quick? Exodus 24. Is it 24? Oh, I hope it's 24. <laughs> mm, that's not actually it. No, that's not the one. Well, that doesn't help me a bit. Seventeen. No, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to reference. Maybe it's Deuteronomy 24. Jeez. Look at me. Here I was with my notes in my head. You should write them down, Eric. Somebody say that. You should write them down, Eric. Oh, dear. No, it's not that one either. Here I was so proud of myself that I could recall this one. Okay, well, you all know it anyway. Have you ever heard this statement? The Lord is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Keeps his said his loyalty to a thousand generations it's also in the Psalms yes but it's originally when God shows himself to Moses remember that 34 wow just 10 chapters off there was a 4 in there I should not play the lotto clearly <laughs> okay God, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in chesed, steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, chesed, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is how God reveals himself to Moses, right? God is announced with these words. The voice comes before him, precedes God. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful. See it? It's a, it's a, a, a statement of his of his identity. It's a, it's a, um, it's a royal. Um, uh, uh, it's a royal name, a title as he comes in. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful. What we need to recognize is that loyalty, or in our case, steadfast love, is its is entirely intertwined, inextricably intertwined. It is the nature of God himself. Now... In the book of Judges, where everybody's living by their own standards and each man is doing whatever he wants to, they were supposed to be living in the context of this identity, this chesed, this loyalty that God himself manifests. If they had done that, they would have had no need for a human leader. But because they did not live by that... It went bad really fast, and then they began to cry out for a human leader to come and to take charge. They asked for a king. I believe that the, that the church is to be what these guys were supposed to have been, but couldn't, couldn't achieve. We are supposed to be governed by this foundational principle, the love of God. God is love. John writes about this in his gospel. John writes about love. And in his letters, John writes about God being love. It is a fundamental identity. God is love. He's not just loving, but he is love love itself. And if we are to represent him and to be ambassadors of Christ in Christ's absence currently physically, but to be the actual hands and feet of, of God, then we have to walk in the kind of love that Christ himself walked in and displayed for us. We're supposed to flesh it out. And if we do, his leadership will be manifested through every single one of us. And The invisible Christ will become visible through our leadership. So why is this important? You're like, I don't even want to be a leader. (laughs) Okay, stop. You are. You simply are a leader. You're like, no, I'm isolated. Nobody looks to me. I have two people on my Facebook post, you know, Facebook feed or whatever. (laughs) Guess what? You are, by default, leading something, somebody, somewhere at some point every day. Because your life is not without influence. You do not exist in a vacuum. You are completely surrounded. I'm I'm sorry if that gets you all nervous, but you are totally surrounded. There are people all around you, and they are affected by your choices. They are affected by your attitudes. They are affected by your words. They are affected by what you do and don't do. You are a leader. You are leading. Who are you representing? The Lord is gracious and merciful, abounding in loving kindness. If we begin to represent Him by doing this to one another, then God can actually begin to work supernaturally in natural ways. Here's, here's the rub. Okay, are you, are you catching this with me? In other words, you're reaching into your pocket and taking out that, that gift that you're going to give to that other person who's in need, even though you have your own need. This is a demonstration of the, wait for it, supernatural Working of God. You're like, oh, semantics, Eric. You're just trying to fool me into thinking that my reaching in my pocket is a supernatural act. Actually, for some of you, the way you grip your money, it is a supernatural act. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just, that's a low blow. Anyway, listen. It is to be recognized that any act of kindness is the supernatural breaking into the natural now, Christians are not the unique in offering kindness. The Lord even uses the wicked, believe it or not, sometimes against their will. But I believe there's a supernatural thing that happens when our hearts align with Christ and we are intentional about living out faithfulness and loyalty to Him because in that moment, heaven touches earth. It meets in that place. You know, Jacob, when he was running away from his brother Esau. He stopped off at this place in the mountains. He put his head on a rock and went to sleep and he woke up. He was having a dream about the presence of God. Maybe you've remembered this is a ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending and he woke up in a fierce uh, uh, panic. He's like, I didn't even know God was in this place. You know how many of us go through life without any kind of idea that God is with us. He's around us. He's right here. He's at our dining room tables. He's sitting with us on the couch when we're flipping through the channels. He is with us as we take in a shower or getting in the car he's with us at school he's with us in our families he's with us he's with us in our businesses he's with us in those quiet moments when we're just trying to get alone God is not absent but how many of us are even aware that he's there and Jacob woke up and he said I didn't even know God was in this place he was astonished To have his eyes opened. Today I'd like your eyes to be opened to recognize that the hands and feet part of God that you actually can be. That is a supernatural intervention in our world. And when you align yourself with God intentionally, you will discover that God uses you all the time. And there is no greater sense of satisfaction in the whole world than that we could be used by God. You thought it was wonderful to get $10,000 in your savings account. Do you know what it feels like to give $10,000 to somebody in need? That's supernatural. Supernatural. I ran out of time and we haven't even started reading Ruth. (laughs) So I'm going to give you guys some homework. This week I want you to go and read Ruth for the third time. Okay? Next week we'll actually read the scripture, I promise. I said that last week. Did I say that last week? Okay, I'm going to read one verse. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. There it is. I read it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Guys, I'm sorry. I, I'm, just, I'm so full. I'm overflowing. If you poke me, it's just all going to come out. I, I know I need to try and be concise, but I hope that you've heard the heart of the message today. It'll become clearer. As you go read through the book of Ruth, I think if you listen to what I said, it's gonna, certain things are just going to pop off the page at you as you start to see what God is doing. It's such, a, it's such a beautiful, simple, easy book. Also profound, difficult book, but it's good. I want you to know that God wants to use you. Just take your hand, put it over your heart. Come on, come on, come on. Just do it. Just just do it. Put your hand over your heart and say, God wants to use me. How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel scared? Should a little bit, just a little bit. I don't want you to see that as an abusive thing. God doesn't want to use you like as an abuse you. God wants to give you purpose. God wants to give you purpose. That's right, Bob. God wants to restore your purpose, my brother. And you think it's got to be something big, something huge? No, it could be something as simple as giving a word of encouragement to the superintendent of your building. God can use that. Because when you exercise loyalty to the Lord, and you say, all right, Lord, I'm your your voice right now. What do you want to say to this person? When you exercise that, even if you say the wrong thing, your heart was in the right place. Trust me, God's able. He's able. He could use a donkey to speak. Okay, remember that story in the Bible about Balaam and his his donkey? Yeah, that. If God could use that, God can use you. And I'm telling you, God wants to use you. God wants to give you purpose in your life. And he wants the supernatural and the natural to coincide because you are aligning yourself with loyalty to God. We'll talk about that loyalty next week, so don't miss next week's sermon, all right? God wants to use me. Go ahead, just do it again. God wants to use me. God wants to use me. Peter, Peter, come on. Hand over your heart. I want to see it. God wants to use me. Come on. God wants to use you, young man. You might be the youngest one in the room right now. I think you are. God wants to use you. Peter, I have no idea just exactly how far God's going to take you. But I know, You're not always going to be sitting in that blue chair right there. Your feet are going to to travel in faraway lands. You're going to put your your, your feet on, on places that I only ever dreamed of going to and that I'm going to be so jealous that you went to them. God wants to carry you. He wants to use you. He wants you to carry him. It starts right here, right now, in your schoolroom with your friends on the baseball field running around the yard with the neighbors doesn't have to be young people can be ancient old folks like me God wants to use you son He wants to give you purpose in your life and there is nothing like that I'm just telling you there's nothing like that this is that season where God begins to ignite that flame inside of your heart this is that season right now right here today where God begins to light that fire in your heart this is no small thing. It's not boring, it's not mundane, and you'll never get tired of it. God wants to use you. Loyalty, my friends. Take that word home and go study it. Go ask, go ask the questions, what does loyalty mean? And start thinking. About how we show ourselves loyal to God. Begin to ask. Because I promise you, God rewards loyalty with loyalty. Chesed begets chesed. Father, I pray for your blessing. You know what? I'm going to sing my prayer over you today. Monday and Tuesday of this week I woke up. You can just keep your heads bowed. Your eyes closed. Monday and Tuesday of this week I I woke up. I heard a song. On Monday I didn't pay any attention to it. On Tuesday morning I couldn't think of anything else. I heard four notes. The same note. And it was the rhythm of the notes that made me instantly recognize the song. I felt like I woke up too soon. The song was being sung over me while I was sleeping. The Bible says in Zephaniah that the Lord rejoices over us with singing. God was singing over me and my family while I was asleep. I got up and I went downstairs and I told Tammy she was having a quiet time. I said, honey, God was singing over us. He was singing over me while I was sleeping. She said, what song? So I played it on my phone and we both sat there and we we wept. And she said to me, that's not just for us, Eric. That's for the whole church. God is singing over Living Hope Family Church. I'm not just saying this to make you excited and make you feel like you're special as opposed to all the other churches on Cape Cod. now God's probably singing over them too. But I want you to know, God is singing over us with songs of rejoicing, songs of deliverance. God is singing over us. So, I'm going to sing this song. And every Sunday that I'm preaching on this sermon series, if I can remember, I'm going to sing this song over you before you leave.
1: Upon you and be gracious to you, Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now, sing with me. favor be upon you to a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening You're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing. He is for you, he is for you. May his favor be upon you to a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. Stand with me and just sing it as we close. toward you and give you peace amen amen thank you church bless one another in the name of the lord greet one another take
0: someone out to lunch have an amazing week and don't forget read the book of ruth for next sunday